this morning I would like to start a new uh, sermon series, and uh, it's sort of loosely based off of uh, Luke 15 and the prodigal son, sort of loosely based off of uh, a book that I've read uh, uh, called um, Finding Your Way Home. Uh, It's also loosely based off the following quote and kind of a hodgepodge of different things and encouragement from a friend. So all caveats aside, um, Meister Eckhart says, God is at home. It is we who have gone for a long walk. And the premise of the series is, is that we have sort of left home and gone off wandering in pursuit of a lot of different things to sort of fill the gap and the void in our life. And over the next several weeks, we will kind of take a look at what are some of the things that we sort of wandered from home with God and sort of tried to replace God with, and how is God calling us back, calling us home? The story of the prodigal son is one that we're all familiar with, and I'd like to just start by reading Luke 15, all uh, all all of that chapter, and just spending time listening to the story. For many of us, I'm sure it's deeply familiar. You've heard it a, a thousand times. But for us today, just we'll start with prayer and ask God to give us fresh ears to hear these stories about finding our way home. So let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for time together to listen to you, to listen to your word. And so, God, we are going to read in a moment a story that we're deeply familiar with. May it find fresh ears and a fresh heart, Lord, ready to hear from you, be encouraged, be challenged. Lord, lead us towards repentance, lead us towards uh, fruitfulness and faithfulness in our life with you. Lord, thank you for today and for all of us who have maybe wandered away today, God. Help us to find our way home with you. We love you, God, and we praise you, and we thank you for today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 15 begins with a little bit of a setting for us to know what's going on. It's important to know who Jesus is telling the stories to. It helps us in our interpretation and understanding. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. The nerve of them, you know, those sinners and tax collectors coming to sit at the feet of Jesus to listen to to him. And it's the Pharisees. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, the man, this man, welcomes sinners and he eats with them. The nerve of Jesus, right? So Jesus tells them this story. A parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on its shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman 
has ten silver coins and loses one? Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls all her friends and all her neighbors together, and she says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued. There was a man, and he had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and throw ourselves a party. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. We live uh, in a world that has an unquenchable thirst for something. An unquenchable thirst for pleasure. I don't know uh, if this has ever happened to you, but uh, I like to watch shows on television. And a recent development in the streaming service industry is is that all of the seasons are available to you, right? Right at the get-go. And there's this thing that we like to do. It's called binge-watching. Full confession, who's done any binge-watching? All right. Does anyone want to share what show they've been watching, or would we like to keep that hidden, right? Yes, let's not share, you know. Whoever watched that lion one or the tigers, you know, we don't need to watch. We don't need to mention that. We all have our embarrassing things. Now, now, you just tell me, just by the nod of your head, if you've had this experience. You get through all of the show. You know, you just can't get through it. And then at the end of watching the whole series, are these? have you ever said this? Wow, that was deeply satisfying, and I'm glad I did that. No, we not once have we said, boy, have I had enough. It's always, what is it that we actually say? We say, what am I going to watch next? We live in a world where there is not enough pleasure to be given. But we keep running through this perpetual cycle of never quite having enough, but always craving more. I envision this sort of Seeking of pleasure as us who are thirsty going to the ocean for a drink of water. And we keep drinking from this ocean over and over and over and over and over again. And we keep thinking that it will finally help and satisfy this and sort of insatiable desire for thirst. Yet what it does to us is kill us from the inside out. Never quenching our thirst. I have noticed something in my own life that I hate and despise, and I don't know how to get myself out of it. That when there is a moment, a moment in which there's nothing for me to do, what is it that I do? But I reach for my phone. What did I miss in the last 30 seconds since I was last bored? What did I miss? What is there for me? What new thing? And what we have is this sort of endless cycle of endorphins that are firing off in our brains, in our heads, that's saying, give me more. Give me more. What does the word prodigal mean? Anybody? Pop quiz? What does the word prodigal mean? Wasteful. Oftentimes we feel like if we say someone is a prodigal, it's not so much that we think of them as wasteful. Wasteful, We say the prodigal is someone who is a child who has sort of wandered from the faith. But Renee's exactly right. It does mean wasteful. It, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says reckless. Uh, you are recklessly living. Recklessly living your life in just pursuit of whatever. And the story of the prodigal son is what we've come to know it as the parable of the lost son is a story who, of a person who spends his inheritance recklessly in the pursuit of wild living, in the pursuit, if you will, of pleasure. What, what new thing can I experience? What thing can I add to my life? 
And so the story of the prodigal is a story of one who has wasted their inheritance in reckless living and sort of what sort of wild pursuits can I add to my life? We look at this story and we're familiar with it, but I, I think that we should maybe see our own sort of path within it. Jesus teaches us in Luke 12 that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And I would say that Jesus, uh, if we were to maybe make the terms a little more relevant to us today, we would maybe want to or need to hear from Jesus for him to say to us, life does not consist in the abundance of the consumption of pleasure. Because ultimately, each of our sort of consumed things, we have become, become consumers of pleasure. I'm guilty of all of this, so, you know, make sure that you hear this like I'm the expert and you all are terrible, right? That we would continue to consume all that we can to possibly have the best experiences. I am in the trap of this sort of thing of like, well, we have to go travel and go do something. Like, we have a little break in our schedule. Let's go and travel. Let's get good experiences. We have this, you know, this temptation within us that we have to make sure that our kids have all of the experiences that we didn't get to have. Like, I feel that pressure. It's like, they got to have this, despite, you know, me knowing better and, and thinking better of it. We still sort of keep piling on. How much can we give ourselves? How much can we give our children? It becomes this pursuit for us. Is this resonating with you? I know that it's this sort of pressure that, I don't know where it comes from, but it just sort of, it's just how it sort of goes. How do we pursue as much pleasure as possible without maybe hurting ourselves? How much is too much? Life, life is not about the abundance of possessions, but we've certainly made it that. What new thing is going to help me feel better about myself? What new experience is going to help round out my children? What new experience will I have that will bring me some pleasure, that will bring fulfillment in my life? If you take an examination of your life, I'm sure that, like me, you are surrounded by things that you no longer need that at one time you felt like were really important that you have. If you're like me, I spend a lot of time researching, and the part of the researching is the process of justification, right? Like, I think I really need this. I think it will answer the problem that I have. Sometimes you go into stores dangerously. Like, it's really bad to go into Target and Menards or Harbor Freight without a list, right? You all with me? Some of you are giggling as if I hit a button there, knowing that we will sort of acquire things that, thinks, that we think, this is what I need. Of course, the culture that we live in takes this theme of pleasure and takes it even to the next level where the pleasure-seeking of our society and the world around us is that there is no limits on the amount of pleasure that you can seek. The word monogamy, to have a husband and wife marriage, monogamous marriage, is almost offensive and probably is offensive to people in our culture today. Why should one be limited to the confines of their marriage? Why not explore fully the full exploits of sexual uh, of sexuality and all of that. And we see that go to the highest level. Experience as much as you can experience. Have as much pleasure as you can possibly have. We see it in our, our life with food. We see it in our life with things uh, of acquiring goods and acquiring all that we can. 
And so we see a culture that just says, get more pleasure and get it at the cost of anyone around you. We see it in the pornography industry. Get as much pleasure as you can and whatever ramifications it has on you or in the society around us, all of that be darned because what matters most is the pursuit of my pleasure and fulfillment. And so we see this going on in our world, and so we can resonate that there is something within us that says, I want more pleasure. And I think if we examine God's Word and we look through the whole of Scripture, what you see coming out of God's Word is this sort of invitation to say, life is not about the pursuit of pleasure. Life, what we want is pleasure. But what God has sort of hardwired into us is this sort of pleasure-seeking thing. God must have wired us in some way to seek pleasure. And we have replaced God with all of the things that won't really truly bring fulfillment. At the very onset of creation, I think God gives us what will most please us. And I think you know deep down what it is that will most satisfy us, that will deeply heal us, is a relationship with God. What will bring the most pleasure in our life, the most satisfaction, the most happiness, the most joy is a relationship with God. And here's why I say that with confidence. Because this story is rooted in people who are wrestling with having real joy. Jesus is meeting with a bunch of grumpy people. I know you haven't met any of them, but... There are grumpy people in the world, and they're grumpy about God and how he sorts things out. And there they are in our story, the Pharisees. And they say, can you believe this guy? He's meeting with sinners and tax collectors, and he's having a good time about it. Can you believe him? And so Jesus tells stories where he flips, he flips our understanding. And he helps us see the joy of God. And he's teaching us to look at the world through the lens of God and see what brings God joy. What makes God happy? We spend all of our lives asking this question, what will make me happy? What will bring me pleasure? Well, let's ask the question, what makes God happy? And when you ask that question, what brings God joy? The sort of text comes alive because what is it that makes God celebrate in heaven? Well, it's this widow. She's looking through her house, and she's trying to find a coin, and she's turned everything over, a lot like when we're trying to find a remote so we can get the next episode of the binge-watching, right? Where's the TV remote? Well, where's this lost coin? And when she finally finds it, she says, Hey, everybody, let's come over and let's celebrate. Let's celebrate that something that was lost is now found, and we can celebrate. And friends, this celebration, this party is a lot like the way God feels and the joy God has when something that's lost is found. It's this sheep, this shepherd who's lost one of his hundred sheep, and he doesn't say, be gone with the one dumb sheep. He says, well, let's go out and find it. And he searches high and low, and when he finally finds the sheep, he carries it on his shoulder and brings the sheep home, and he celebrates. It's a celebration of restored life that something that was lost is now found. 
And it points to the joy of heaven, that this is what is experienced in heaven. When one person repents, when one person turns to God, when one person who's wandered from home comes back. And so he tells a story, a deeply personal story in which we can all relate, in which we see our lives being wasted and wandering away and living a life full of pursuit and pleasure. And he realizes this thing, that there is no pleasure left to be found in the world. The only place to find true joy and completion is a life with my Father, a life back with God. And so he walks home, and what does he find? but a father who's been looking for him. And a father whose arms are open wide, a father whose arms are ready to embrace and kiss his son who's returned. And what does he do but throw a fabulous party because it's the father's greatest joy to have his son come home. What makes God happy? What brings God great joy? What causes causes the heavens to erupt in celebration? What makes God go, ta-da, woo-hoo, in a moonwalk? Like, what causes that to happen? I'm not sure about the moonwalking. I don't know how that would work. But uh, what causes God to have the greatest joy is but for you and me to find our way back home with God. It's relationship. And friends, we live in a world that says, pursue all of your pleasure and pursue it wildly and recklessly as much as you want and pile it up in your life. But there is that story where Jesus says, life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. And what he says immediately after that in Luke 12, 29 is this. He says, it is the Father's greatest pleasure It is the delight of God to give you his kingdom. He says, dear children, I want you to know this, that the greatest thing that brings God the greatest joy is you in his kingdom and a life with him. This is what pleases God the most. And I love the connections that we can get from Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said there is blessing on blessing on blessing that he is pouring out blessing on us. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So he does all of this reconciliation. He does all of this and this is what I want you to see. He has predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. He has brought us into his family in accordance with what? His pleasure and will. It is God's pleasure to reconcile you back to him through Jesus Christ. In verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So God is pouring out his mercy, pouring out his forgiveness, pouring out his love for us through Jesus Christ, adopting us into his family. We belong to God. 
In him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 7, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Verse 8, that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to what? His good pleasure. He did all of this revealing. He did all of this reaching out. He did all of this great expense of himself to redeem and save and find those who are lost. It is God's great pleasure, his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth. We have spent our lives binging, pursuing, acquiring, consuming, chasing after the wind. At what point will we stop drinking from the ocean and find true living water in Jesus Christ? The response, the response is to see the good pleasure of God. What does God delight in? He delights in you. He delights in you when in the morning you wake up and say, God, I love you and I'm seeking you today. He delights when you have screwed up so bad that you think there is no way back. And you say, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. When the Father's already come running and his arms are already open wide and he's ready to celebrate with you. God delights in you. And I just want you to know this morning that whatever your past, whatever your current circumstances, whatever the things that are going on in your life, whatever it is that you've been wrestling with, and maybe all of those things that I'm wrestling with, you share with me. But may we all repent. God's great delight is hearts that have turned to him. And I want to say to you that the path is well-worn that the prodigal has taken. But we all need to step on it and take our steps back to God the Father. So wherever you find yourself today in your walk, maybe you're doing great. Maybe you haven't sinned all week. Good for you. We'll deal with your pride later. Maybe you're the grumpy Pharisee. who says, man, who can believe this gospel that Jordan's preaching right now that sinners get to be saved? Man, that's, that's too much love for that God. Friends, we're all prodigals. We're all sons and daughters who have walked away. God's the one who's at home. We're the ones that have gone for a long walk. And it's time to go back. And he's ready. And he loves you. He cares so deeply for you. God's greatest pleasure is to have you home. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us home. Thank you for this love that radiates from you that has emanated from you from generation to generation. 
to tell us that there is a way home, that, God, you've left the light on for us to find you and seek you. You've not turned us away. So we turn back to you. God, let us examine our hearts now. We offer a prayer of repentance. Or we've, seek, uh, we've been seeking, we've sought so many things outside of your will, outside of you, to find pleasure, to find joy, to find happiness, to find completion, to find a sense of belonging and purpose and all of these things, Lord, that we place out in front of us. When all along you've been placing Jesus in front of us. To find him and through him to find you. So we thank you for your son. That before we were lost and there was no hope. But through your son today. There is forgiveness. There is mercy. There is grace. I thank you that if Jesus were walking today he would come to my house. And he would eat with me. And I thank you that he would sit and eat with each and every one of us, despite our past, despite our brokenness, despite our turning. And let us be those people today. A people who eat with sinners and point people to heaven. Point people to the way home. Point people to the way of Jesus. We love you and we praise you. Help us to head home today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand in response with us?